everybody. You're listening to the 16th episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian. And on today's podcast, we have coffee with an American giant and talk economic opportunity, celebrate teams named giant in Latin American baseball, ask if you have any foreign substances to spare, and continue to look into the 2021 Major League Baseball season. So like all of our other shows, we always begin by welcoming you and also sharing what we are drinking today. So I would like to pass it over to my brother from a different mother, Dorian, to see what he is drinking on this evening. So what's going on, Dorian? How are you today? I'm looking forward to all of these wonderful topics that we're going to unpack on the this on the 16th episode of HBP. And of course, to start, I'm going to share with everyone what I'm going to drink. What I have in my hand is a 12 ounce can and it's a Coba, which is a pineapple, coconut and Amarillo, Amarillo hops. It's from a local brewery, of course, always supporting good American jobs because we believe in economic opportunity for our fellow citizens. It's a wild hair, hard cider from Middleburg, Virginia. It's about, Middleburg is about, uh, I think like an hour and a half west of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, which has been in the news recently. Normally, I, I share with DiCarlo and with you something about the history of where this, where I drink something from, or specifically about the drink. This time, I'm going to take some, some, uh, some liberties. I am going to tell you that cider is absolutely massive. It's a drink that the English love, Brit, British love drinking cider. I never really got it. I like cider here and there, but I'm going to drink this right now. And lastly, this cider is actually made from fermenting juice from apples. So, you know, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. I don't know if they say the same thing about cider, but I want to talk about someone who we're going to be celebrating very, very soon. I'm going to tell you about this man. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He earned a doctorate from Boston University. He has a statue at Westminster Abbey in London, England. I'm talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a huge coffee drinker, not a not, not cider, coffee. You can actually look up pictures of him and he, and he and a lot of his pictures, he drinks coffee. Unfortunately, I couldn't find what coffee he made. I don't know what coffee like. Maybe it was Folgers. Maybe it was uh, Ely from Italy. I have no idea. I do want to share with you a sermon that he that he gave to, to uh, in the city of Detroit back in 1961, and this is about our breakfast. And the, the sermon is called "The Man Who Was a Fool." Quote: Maybe this morning we want to follow the good old American tradition, and we drink coffee that's poured in our cups by a South American, or maybe we are desirous of having tea. Then we discover that that's poured in our coffee by a Chinese. Or maybe we want cocoa this morning, and then we discover that that's poured into our cup by a West African. Then we reach over a piece for a piece of toast, only to discover that that's given to us at the hands of an English-speaking farmer, not to mention the baker. And so before we finish eating breakfast in the morning, we are dependent on more than half of the world, end quote. So wow. I'm going to... I'm you know going to... You know what that kind of shows? That MLK was a globalist before we really thought about it. <laughs> he, he was, uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was a man. Of, he was not he was just a man of African Americans or or a disadvantaged people. He was a man of all humans on this planet. And I'm going to be opening up this drink, and 
again, just because, just because I took liberties with this cider from Middleburg, Virginia, from uh, a place called Wild Hair Heart Cider, I'm still going to tie this all together, people. Don't you worry about that. Now, Dr. King, he was supposed to be, he, he originally was planned to tour seven different Virginia cities in the Commonwealth of Virginia, including Norfolk and Suffolk, starting on the 30th of March, 1968. But at the last minute, he changed his travel itinerary and went down to Memphis, Tennessee to support 1,300 striking uh, black sanitation workers. And unfortunately, four days, five days later, on the 4th of April, 1968, uh, he, met, he met his end. Uh, he was killed uh, at the, on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. And uh, the man who ended his life is uh, James Earl Ray. Nevertheless, we're not celebrating this James Earl Ray. We're celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King. He loved coffee. I know most of you drink coffee. I, I, I personally drink tea, but I enjoy coffee once in a while. And right now I'm enjoying this cider from a wild hair hard cider. Cool. You want to know something? You know, he, his given name at birth was Michael. Was it Martin Luther? His father um, actually on a mission to Germany went to Wittenberg where Martin Luther put up the 99 thesis and admired him and he changed his name. And then he followed his father and changed his name as well. So that was really interesting. That is um, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, all, like all his friends, even like in later life, would call him Michael. But, you know, it's he, he got known as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, and Nike, uh, Nike should do a commercial on him. He's the original. I want to be like Mike. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, it was funny later on, like years later, his family, they met with James Earl Ray. And they actually believed that he wasn't the one who act, who killed their father. It's interesting because, you know, especially back in the 60s and 68 and, you know, early 60s with JFK and then the assassinations in 68 with Bobby Kennedy and MLK, there was always a lot of conjecture. Like we know currently there's a lot of, you know, conspiracy and ideas of big, you know, big government ideas and stuff like that. So this definitely was one of these uh, assassinations that leads to that. And it's interesting that even his family kind of thinks that maybe the, uh, official account isn't actually fully the true story but another time but for me i am just drinking uh i'm playing tonight i'm drinking a sauvignon blanc from the josh from josh winery it's nice it's subtle it's not too bitter like some sauvignon blancs you could find could have like a really bitter taste but i also find it really really depends on where your palate is when you drink a sauvignon blanc so you should be really mindful about what you've eaten what you know especially if you're pairing it with food you of course if you're having a white wine you want to make sure meat wise you pair it with uh chicken like a poultry or pork something that's white meat not red meat um and yeah so i'm enjoying that so cheers to you with your cider and cheers with my savion blanc cheers and we're cheering not just dr martin the king jr we're a chart we're we're cheering chicken and pork now, all the beautiful things that go <laughs> sauvignon blanc that wasn't the best segue i'm sorry but when you're listening to this podcast or when you're out after your day of service on MLK Day, tweet us a picture of your choice of drink. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's tea. Maybe it's a little bit something harder than that. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be happy to retweet that picture. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPDrink. We're going to head down to Latin America. And I'm going to do a quick overview for our friends, uh, our, our, our fellow baseball enthusiasts on this podcast. 
all of Latin America right now is in the playoffs. It's, and it's a very exciting time if you support a team whose name is Gigantes, which is Spanish for Giants. That's why we're celebrating teams that are named Giants in Latin America. Right now, the Dominican Republic, which is the best winter league in all of Latin America, they're in the final. And Gigantes del Cibao, the Giants of the town of Cibao, are, is currently up two games to nothing. They have If they win one more game, they win the championship. And they're going against the Aguilas Sivanes. <laughs> I've never been to Dominican Republic people, so I'm not sure about uh, some of their towns. But the Aguilas means the Eagles. So it's the Giants against the Eagles. And the uh, the Giants are up two games to, to nothing. And down in Nicaragua, the, the Gigantes de Rivas, the Giants of Rivas, are up against the Tigres de Chinandega, the Tigers. So it's like the Giants and the Tigers in Nicaragua. And the Tigers are up one game nothing. And in Cuba, they're still about a week away from the playoffs. So I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating the start of the playoffs in Cuba. So that's, that's what we're doing in, in Latin America. They're actually playing. But here in America, they're starting to plan to play very soon. And there's been some trades going on. And there's been some dodgy things going on that I think DiCarlo wants to share with us. Yeah, so the biggest move that has happened so far is Francisco Lindor, Puerto Rican shortstop from the Cleveland Indians moving over to the New York Mets, which is a big move considering that now, of course, anybody who's been uh, up to date with baseball and knows the Mets are under new ownership, native New Yorker Steve Cohen, who is he's definitely taken more of a, he's doing a public relations approach with his ownership. He's interacting with fans on Twitter. He's doing uh, press and interviews, which normally you would only see him on CNBC, but now it's it's moving over. And um, so that was a big pickup on their end. The one thing about that deal is Lindor, he's due for, he, he want his, him and his uh, team are seeking a max contract, which would definitely put them over the luxury, like the luxury tax. And he, that would demand what, almost like over 300 million over 10 years. Um, it's more likely, I think they're probably going to do a wait and see to kind of see how the season plays out at least the first half before they would probably get to the table and try to hammer out something more, especially because of where the market is for free agents and, you know, players right now, it's really kind of a, a stalemate between both sides, whether it be ownership or, um, players but I think Cohen comes in with a little bit more of a a bargaining chip considering that he you know the the Mets are flush right now with cash whereas a lot of other teams aren't so he can kind of they could pretty much take a wait and see approach when it comes to Lindor and what they want to decide to do further further along long term um but DiCarlo we have let let's be clear it wasn't that just Francisco Lindor just packed up his bags and left the uh I know you described Cleveland a few episodes ago as, as like not the best place to go visit. Oh, he didn't exactly city. just pack up his bags. <laughs> we're, try, we're trying to, we're trying to gain fa- fandom in Cleveland. So we love the people of, of, of no, I don't of, care. Cleveland, no, they, no, Cleveland will say people from Cleveland will say Cleveland's terrible. It's not, it's not a matter of like, Oh, you know, like, no, like I, I went to the city. The people are cool, but I could sit back and straight up say like, it's a cold place. It's right on Lake Erie. It's, you know, it has its charm, but it's one of those places that you kind of, if you go there, you feel as though there's like a, a cosmic energy that almost wants to keep you there from leaving. That was the feeling I had, to be honest. Like okay. I went, it was in April and it was cold as all Dickens. It was the cold, like, oh my God, it was so cold. 
Okay. Right? Now, yeah. Now good food, we, though. Really good food. I have to say that. We want to thank DiCarlo for his tremendous Lonely Planet review of the city of Cleveland, Ohio. But Francisco Lindor, he didn't just pack up his bags and go to New York. He was traded to New York for four prospects. Basically, prospects are players that haven't even played in the Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball. This Francisco Lindor, as DiCarlo said, this guy's a four-time all-star. He didn't say this, but Lindor's a four-time all-star. He's won two gold gloves. He's one of the best players at his position. And they basically traded him for... I don't want to say peanuts, but just it's ridiculous. It's completely lopsided. Why did they do this? For money. We keep talking about money on this podcast. In 2021, right now, the Cleveland Indians are projected to have a payroll of $23 million for the entire team, for the entire team. That's dead last amongst all dead last wow the second the 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 second let's be honest the second cheapest team the second cheapest team their payroll the baltimore orioles is double almost double that 42 million dollars the cleveland indians are 20 million dollars below their closest quote-unquote cheap competitor this again we keep harping on the dolan family there is something about that branch of, of of dolan's that they can make a boatload of the money. Branch? The branch? The, the family, but, man. Not the Yeah, branch. that's what I mean. The, yeah. Whatever, that branch of the Dolan family is what I meant. They make tremendous money. But my goodness, are they horrible owners? Larry, who's the who's the 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 elder statesman of, of that part of the Dolan family, his net worth is over $3 billion. His sons who run the company, who run the, uh, the team, Paul and Matt, they're cousins to to Carlos's favorite basketball team, New York Knicks owner James <laughs> James Dolan. Look, we've we've been bashing the Dolans long enough on this podcast, but my goodness, you are so skinflint, so cheap, so as they say in Spanish, "colo" an elbow, so cheap that you don't want to pay one of the best players, one of the best young stars, one of the most beloved players on your team, and you said, "No, you know what? Go to New York. Go to Uncle Steve." Steve Cohen and the New York Mets. The I reality mean, is, I think that they're trying to, and this is not an original thought, they're trying to relive that great 1989 movie, Major League, where the Cleveland Indians are the main star and they're so bad that their owner, which was a female, I forget the female owner's name, she's trying to tank so she can move the team to Miami. But now in real life, Miami already has a team. The rumor is that the Dolans are going to move the team out of Cleveland once their lease is up at the uh, the Major League Baseball Stadium. It's it's pathetic Aggressive to be crying. Field. It's well, that's not pathetic a, to mean... be crying poor when you, every team makes over three hundred million dollars in revenue a year, a year, and you're saying that oh, we can only afford twenty two million dollars. Get out of here. They can afford more. They just don't want to put it out there. But honestly, if I mean from a business sense, if you look at it, if you are intending to move to a different market, why not? I mean, you're not going to sit back. You're not doing any justice by keeping on the stars, or at least they might want to. I don't know. Yeah, that's I your mean, name. That's your, Carlo, That's your name. You like you're you're the big you're the big star on the block of your of your town. Hey, that, but the that, but the but the team the itself team. doesn't even have a name anymore. <laughs> so no, I mean, I mean that also. That they they they're obviously they're going to drop Cleveland Indians, but not until 2022. They already said in 2021 they're still going to be playing under the name Cleveland Indians. They're not going to yeah. go like Washington and say the Cleveland baseball team. 
Yeah, well, if you know you're not going to be able to sign the guy and you're not going to be competing, it doesn't make sense to keep No, no, DeCarlo. They can sign him. I just told you Larry yeah, but, Dolan yeah, is worth they over don't $3 want to. billion. But, it, no, it's a matter of you can, but it's a matter if you want to. And clearly they don't want, they didn't but, want to. You know what? Maybe I come from a different time and I'm not that old. These people are much older than me where you have to have pride in yourself, how people look at you and how you feel about yourself. Not if you're running a business. No. (laughs) You look, these people, these people look like fools and everyone is hammering, uh, hammering them for being unbelievable skin flints. Like that's your name that's being dragged through the mud. And it's not because everyone's out to get you. It's because you're cheap. That's it. And that's how the rich stay rich. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, we're sitting here broken. They're sitting there with billions. So I can't really, like, I could sit back and say, looking at it from a fan perspective or somebody who wants to enjoy a decent game, like, why would you trade away one of your star players for nothing? But if you're like, you know what? Clearly, that maybe they are just sitting back and looking at the landscape of what they're going to be coming into i don't know there's a lot of other like considerations i'm not sitting back and saying i completely disagree with you i'm just playing devil's advocate here but ladies and gentlemen i think people make their decisions based on whatever they decide and that's up for them to do they own the team they can do whatever the hell they want to do we just found the mole at hbp DeCarlo is on the payroll of the Dolans. That's it. We, we just found that out. No, Shock, I'm breaking I'm news. New, I'm from New York, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm from New York and I'm a New York Knicks fan. Clearly, I'm not on the payroll of the Dolans. JD and his straight shots could go somewhere with that. Like, seriously, I don't know. No, no. Uh, I, I, like I, I know they're fan. When it comes to sports ownership, they're the worst. When it comes to cable, yeah. they're still pretty bad, too. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, it is what it is. Um, hey, they, they, hey, they, they have to keep expectations low, you know, like they don't, they don't want to be good in one and be bad in the other. So nah, they just got to be bad around all around, but yeah, who's not exactly. bad right now are the San Diego Padres. Like they, for 2020, 2021, like the, the rivalry is not going to be the Red Sox Yankees anymore. That's like, I mean, FSG pays more attention to Liverpool football club because they bring them more money internationally than the Red Sox at this point. But Padres let's talk about how they've tooled up in terms of pitching they brought in you Darvish and Bill Blake Schnell they already have a young talented squad the city like I have to say the NL West is probably going to be the most exciting division to watch this coming season it is and I'm I it hurts me that the t- Blake Snell, who's a tremendous pitcher, and I mentioned this a, a few episodes ago, he was traded from the Tampa Bay Rays over to San Diego Padres. Uh, it's it's a shame that Tampa Bay just said no. We're, we're again another cheap organization. We and we went through their owner, uh, Mr. Sternberg. Oh, but anyways, forget about the heartaches and this that, and the other. That's going to be an amazing rivalry, and I cannot wait until we get over this pandemic and they open up Major League Baseball and all athletic competition stadiums so we can go watch this. I'd love to go out west, Southern California, and take in some Dodgers and Padres, the L.A. Dodgers, the defending champions of Major League Baseball against the upstart San Diego Padres. And I love how San Diego said we have all of these on this incredible farm system, all these young kids who haven't played who haven't played the majors yet, but they're coming up and they are all highly rated. And then they're sprinkling, sprinkling in, they've already sprinkled in veterans like Manny Machado, who has, who he has one of those 10 year 
300 yeah. million dollar contracts the uh hosmar hosmer the the first baseman who used to play for the uh kansas city royals mm-hmm. and then they bring in blake snell and now they bring in the japanese the, the, the japanese pitch pitcher you darvish i love they are the antithesis and i i wish i remember the 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 owner of the San Diego Padres, but he right now he's the antithesis of the Dolans over for the Cleveland Indians. He's like, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal. Let's get these bastards up in LA. I love the attitude. I love the gumption. I love, I can't wait to see that over full of talent, LA Dodgers, Mookie Betts, um, uh, the Walker Blake. Uh, It's going to be amazing. Yeah, Everybody, you, st- you still have uh, what's his name, Ugh. Clayton uh, Kershaw, uh, and the super spreader himself, yes. Justin Turner. Mm-hmm. Justin yeah. Turner, by the way, people, he's a third baseman for the LA Dodgers. And during the clinching game of the World Series, it they it was announced that he had COVID nineteen, and he still came out to celebrate. And so that it was a that little celebration was its own super spreader event. So Justin Turner, we look forward to seeing you as well. And also, I would suggest if we want to go see the games, we go to San Diego because there's a hotel in the gas lamp, which is like right across from uh, Petco Park. If, if it's still called Petco, I mm. can't stay up with all of these damn corporate changes. Right. But yeah, we were able, like on the rooftop, we were able to just watch the game. And, you know, it's like, oh, why am I going to go to the stadium? I'll just watch it here and just buy some beers. So, yeah. I would say as opposed to driving to like, as opposed to being in LA, because when you get to Chavez Ravine, there's like, there's just the stadium. There's nothing around. So I love the stadium. I love Dodger stadium, but it is, is it's not, it's not really close to anything, but I I am raising another 12 ounce can of pineapple coconut Amarillo hops, uh, Coba to this is how, this is why people like sports. It's the competitive part. And these are two teams that are going after it. They both have incredibly talented players. They have deep pockets and they're going to invest not just to win some trophy, but it's also for generating revenue. This is something that the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Indians don't understand. If you invest in your product as a business owner, you will get higher returns. Not it's This is not a law, but this is a principle. Why would you put out a crap product? If you put out a product and you're saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to take down Pepsi Cola. I'm going to put out my own version of the cola. You put terrible ingredients in, in there. People get sick. Some people even die. Do you think just because you offer your cola at half the price that, that Pepsi does, people are going to buy it? You're going to become bigger than Pepsi Cola? No. You put out a bad product. People won't buy it. People won't go watch it. Cheers to the San Diego Padres and the LA Dodgers for putting out quality content, quality teams on the on the field. But you know what else can is also can make you sick and potentially kill you? What illegal substances? Mm, depends on the substances though, because there's some <laughs> that are really good that are just illegal because of puritanical, you know, and also regulatory issues. But when it comes to baseball players and illegal performance substances, this is always a thing. It seems like baseball gets hit with everything when it comes to, say, performance-enhancing substances or even just substances to give people an edge. So this is actually something that came up in an Axios article today, and it was talking about how, like, MLB with illegal substances. And so according to Trevor Bauer, who won the 2020 NL Cy Young, that upwards of 70% of major league pitchers use some type of illegal form, like foreign substance. 
um, on their hands to really help them with their grip and also to control the ball. So there was also a long time Angels like visiting club manager Brian Harkins that was fired last March for providing an illegal pine tar mixture to both Angels and opposing pitchers. And Harkin has named various like really star pitchers. So he's including Gary Cole, who plays for the Yankees, Justin Verlander for the Houston uh, Astros, and Matt uh, Scherzer. I can never pronounce his name right. Matt Scherzer. Scherzer, that's it. Yeah. And he said that he's provided them this tar. So it's not the same as, say, like sticking steroids in your butt cheek, which actually gives you a genetic like enhancement, but it's something that pitchers can use to help them manipulate balls and gripping. And, um, you know, with better control, you get fewer hits batman, which isn't a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. I think, like, I remember when I played baseball, there was a season I got hit practically every game we played. And so by the end of the season, you, I just jumped any time the pitch was thrown my way. DeCarlo, were you playing in Cuba in the Cuban Winter League? No, I was playing in <laughs> Queens. Um, <laughs> I'm joking because of the Cuban pitchers are uh, don't have the best control and they hit everybody. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, you're so getting I, hit. You're getting hit in Queens. Oh my god, I was getting hit terribly. But this is saying that with grip, it improves their like their control. So they're not hitting as many as many players as they did, and uh, you know, but it's evolved in a way that they can increase their spin rate. Which of course, if you're throwing, say, like a curveball or a slider or change up or any pitch that really could like the spin or even like your, you know, two seam or four seam fastball. Well, your two seamer is the one that has more movement on it. Um, that gives them a huge competitive advantage. And so one question it kind of brought up was like, can you imagine say like 40%, like 70% of like NFL quarterbacks using deflated football. So say if 70% were like Tom Brady and the new England Patriots, like how competitive would, uh, you know, the NFL be. So that's really something to think about. But at the same time, is it really such a bad thing when we get an edge? Like, I think this is something we need to think about when it comes to sports, because, you know, technology evolves, sports nutrition, medicine, you know, all these advantages. And, and also there is a certain level of like, inter- not interaction, but attentiveness, you know, baseball, like we said in our last episode, it does not have, it doesn't garner the same, like, support you don't have the same ratings in baseball as you do with football or even basketball you know it's it's really falling down the totem pole and not only that you have like american sports now competing with other sports from across the world because of streaming and satellite television so people can tap into many different sports so now you're not only competing with football and basketball and hockey you have soccer you have uh rugby all these other sports that people might be interested in so you know, is it really that bad especially when it's not something that's genetically changing them like steroids okay it makes somebody stronger whereas if i'm using pine tar it just helps my my grip is it really so bad uh, i think the the, the allegations from uh, mr harkins who used to be employed by the los angeles angels or as we've said in this podcast the angels of the angels because los angeles in spanish means the angels and the angels means angels <laughs> Some of these things don't make any sense to me. They should contract HBP to be consultants for their language programs. Anyways, these are big allegations by Mr. Harkins because names like Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer, these are arguably Hall of Fame 
type players. These aren't just some random kid who's 20 years old who's trying to break into the Major League Baseball. These are giants of pitching. Of these, these men have won World Series. They've won all the accolades, individual awards that pitchers could possibly win. And the cynical part of me, if you flip that coin, says to Carlo, so what? Like you had, like you've mentioned, they're not, they're, they're not just, they're, they aren't wrecking their body by injecting substances into their butt cheeks, the left and the right butt cheek. They're putting things on their fingers, basically their fingers and their hands that wipes off. And if potentially, like Trevor Bauer said, 70% of major league pitchers use some type of illegal substance, if everyone's doing it, and and these and they're still really really successful batters. Somehow these batters are so good at their job of hitting a ball coming at them at ninety eight miles an hour. I mean, does it does it really matter? That's the cynical part of me. But again, the fair play part is you shouldn't you shouldn't be cheating. You shouldn't be using foreign substances that you ingest into your body or you put on your body to make you a better player. It's uh, it's. This is an esoteric theoretical question. This is a rhetorical question that we can't answer, but you're absolutely right. If the NBA said we're going to increase the, the size of the rim so that the balls, no, not, not the NBA. If in basketball, one team said and on our home, they didn't even say, they just did it on our home court. The rim is going to be a little bit bigger. So we get more points at home. Statistically speaking, you do it, but the sports world will be in an outrage. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're doing this. This is awful. But in Major League Baseball, you kind of get a shrug because Major League Baseball celebrates all of its cheating ways throughout the decades because you have all these old players talking about, oh, so-and-so used to do this and used to do that. Go and watch the movie we just mentioned, Major League from 1989. And in that movie, and there's a, there's a, a picture who his character is like an old gruffy veteran. He's just sort of trying to hang on. He has gray hair and he puts foreign substances on his chest so he can get a better, um, a better cut on his balls when he pitches. And I think Major League Baseball doesn't really care because they suck their head in the sand for steroids and they're going to stick their hand, stick their head in the sand for any other type of, as long as it gets them some ratings, I think they have no problem. Just good old yeah. fashioned American capital, American capitalistic way. Yeah, and that's that. Ultimately, that's what you need. If you have a business like Major, Major League Baseball is a big business, you need people to come in. And there's another business, our show sponsor, who also loves it when you go into the store. Tower Records, the largest record store in the known universe. Tower is the place to go for the newest issue a barista magazine to read up on coffee or buy the new album from Brooklyn's finest band, Holy Ghost, or buy posters of your favorite sports star. Stop by Tower Records, the largest record store in the known universe. That's what's up. I need to get some new CDs as I think about it right now. Really do. I remember one time I went into Tower Records and bought a Michael Jackson album. That was really good. Tower's dope. It, I love I mean, that. Tower is the place that you go and get the most, the most esoteric type of magazines, like 
chair legs of 1930s Vienna. Like it, 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 they have the craziest magazines there. Like that, it, who buys these things? But people go to Towers to buy it. It's whatever you want is found at Tower Tower Records. Excuse me. But to go to the Tower Records to go to a Major League Baseball game, we need money. And in this week's segment of the Dewey Decimal System, aka Lost in History, we're going to talk about the economic justice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or as he's known to DiCarlo, Mike. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is actually misremembered because every time we mention him, it's always about, quote, a civil rights leader. That's how we remember him. We should remember him, but there was so much more to him than just being a civil rights leader. And that's why I want to highlight this in things that we have forgotten in history. He also was an ardent supporter of economic justice and the empowerment of poor and working class people of all colors. I want to quote what Dr. King uh, said uh, when he was alive, uh, talking about economic justice. Quote, economic justice requires a land where men will not take necessities to give luxuries to the few and where all our gifts and resources are held not for ourselves alone, but as instruments of service for the rest of humanity, end quote. When he would someone... have been uh, like, sorry to interrupt, but he definitely, it's funny when you think about Martin Luther King, like he would have been classified as a democratic socialist in the same vein as say like Bernie Sanders, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez currently. I don't know. And I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that. But first I'm going to say that type of quote in 19, in the early to mid 1960s, this is the height of the Cold War people. We are tooth and nails against the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc. To U.S. government agencies like the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, or the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, that's commie talk. You're communist. <laughs> that, I don't know how many of you remember this, but there was a saying all the way up until the end of the Cold War, better dead than red. Anything that sounded remotely like taking care of other people was communist. And that's why the FBI and the CIA perked their ears up and said, this guy's the enemy. This guy's an, this guy is an enemy, but he wasn't because I'm going to go on here. Just a little, just a little bit more highlighting of the, the economic agenda or the things that Dr. King wanted to highlight. Everyone knows his, I have a dream speech. You get taught this when you're in elementary school. He delivered this on the 28th of August, 1963. And you see pictures of it on, on the internet or online, excuse me, not internet, online or videos of it. And you see all these men dressed in suits. And I don't know if any who have ever been in Washington, D.C. in August. It is disgusting in August here. It's a swamp and there is no breeze here. Uh, anyways, that's a side note. It wasn't called the I Have a Dream rally. It actually was called March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Very bland, not snappy, not, it, that's what it was. Um, the, the rally was supposed to be, it was called March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Dr. King saw that the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act that passed in 1963 and 1964, I'm sorry, 
the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed in 1964 and 1965, he saw that that as the first phase. The second phase was economic equality. He wanted everyone to have a well-paying job, a basic level of income, decent levels of healthcare, education, and housing. And so how is that not democratic socialism? But wait, but wait, my friend. In 1968, this is the year when he unfortunately was taken from us. He had started a campaign called the Poor People's Campaign, and he promoted a, quote, economic bill of rights for all Americans, all Americans. And it, it, it consisted of five pillars. Meaningful job at a living wage secure and adequate income, access to land, listen to the words, access to capital, especially for poor people and minorities, and the ability for ordinary people to play a truly significant role in government. This is why he is not like some of these- What, because of land? Listen, my friend. I mean, you you gotta get there, man. <laughs> you're taking I, a while. I'm getting it. You keep interrupting. You're taking a while, man. Come on. You're, you're going on like niceties of what they were wearing. Like, get to the point, man. Come on. Okay. Minimum wage, meaningful job at a living wage. The minimum wage was introduced back all the way back in 19, 1938 by President Roosevelt. At then, it was set at 25 cents an hour. Today, that's $4.59 an hour. With inflation. Correct. With inflation. But when Dr. King made this speech, this poor people's campaign, minimum wage back then was $1.47 an hour, which in today's inflation adjusted dollar is $11.39. As we've known, there's been states that have passed $15 minimum wage acts uh, throughout the country. still $7.25. Correct, which is ridiculous. How can it be that in 1967, someone earning minimum wage was making more than someone in the year 2021 and we're talking about secure and adequate income i'm stretching it here a bit but i'm going to go ahead and call that today what we would call universal basic income is that a radical idea there was a very popular candidate by the name of andrew yang who was a presidential candidate in 2020 and DeCarlo knows this better better than i do he's a current candidate for the new york city mayoral office he was huge he has his uh what is it what are they called the Yang Gang, right? Well, that's what it's called, right? They loved him, and it was like, "This is a great idea." Everyone gets—I don't—I don't know what it was, maybe twelve hundred dollars a month. month. Sure. And you're talking about healthcare. In 1965, President Johnson helped push through Medicare and Medicaid for decent levels of healthcare. If you—not if—you do have a grandparent, they're on Medicare. You, you yourself may have used Medicaid, whether you're old or not, because that's just for lower income people. Why not expand that? I mean, we're, I'm just, I'm looking at what Dr. King asked and called for in 1968. And to this day, these things are already there. He just wanted to enhance them. And of course, education, proper funding of schools, housing, access to housing. He was never calling for we're going to take everyone's money away and just redistribute. This is not redistribution. But nobody this was is ever, not communist. But, but who's calling for redistribution? Of wealth? I mean, in, in the sense of taxation, that's not redistribution of wealth. It's called taxation. It just, it's not saying I'm taking from Peter to pay Paul. It's I'm taking from Peter to put into programs that can actually help the society in terms of infrastructure and education, which have been completely like neglected for generations. So it's not all, a matter of redistribution. 
they've been completely hollowed out. The yeah. point is that this man is not about, he never called himself a socialist. He wasn't a socialist. He yeah, wasn't a communist. You, but, he but, said equal, equal But that's access. a Christian that idea. That's what it was. That's but that's, it, that's, but that's right. a very Christian idea. And so the idea, and this is where I have a problem, because this is a very like programmed American type of thing, is the idea of socialism. Like it's such a bad thing. All government is socialism. It's called a, it's a bridge between the government and private industry. You're going to have to have the government that plays a certain role because people who make a lot of money get greedy. It's a natural human instinct. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, meaningful job with a living wage. That's nothing that needs to be distributed, but that shouldn't even be an argument. Access to, to, to land, if it's, I mean, especially there's a lot of land in the United States that's still unoccupied and a lot of people who can actually, given an opportunity to have that land and have some ownership, that's great because then they can pass it on. What's, what's the problem with that? Access to capital. This is one of the biggest issues that we find in brown and black populations in this country is that people don't have generational wealth or even access to capital to be access able to, to go. To go into a bank and say, "Hey, can I get a loan?" So that can I get a I loan to idea. open a to get a loan small to open a small business or even or even more close to home a home. Can I have a? I want to have a mortgage. I want to have a, a loan to purchase a home. Yeah, it, I think it's still I, to this day that those are still unfortunate unfortunate battles that need to be addressed. Yeah. That there are battles, but issues that need to be addressed, and it because Dr. King was highlighting this back in 1968 here we are what 50 years 52 years later and these are still bubbling they're not boiling over but they're but they're still there and i i just want to use this segment to highlight the fact that the issues and problems that dr king was addressing are still here the minimum wage is not right now a a, a living wage for a lot of people and it's, it's not it's, a living wage for anybody. It's correct. like, I mean, let's just be very correct. Honest. It's not even you're absolutely right. Many people. Like if I sit back and think about $7 and 25 cents an hour, like within, like, I mean, thinking about what we envision the United States as being as an economic powerhouse where the land of opportunity, all these people, the American dream. And then there's people who are literally making $7 and 25 cents an hour. Like that, that's not even, you can't even, you can't do anything with that. So I don't know. So, I, and also I think just terminology speaking, it's sad, but you know, anything that looks about like distributing or government involved, it's, it scares the hell out of people. And, you know, I get it. It, it is a scary as idea. It, as it should. But, as long as, uh, just because you have the opportunity, just because you have the access doesn't mean that everyone will take upon that opportunity. And that's what I think. That's what I think. I'm speaking for Dr. King because I did my Ouija board earlier tonight. Really? And he told me this. I'm joking, people. No. I was about to <laughs> say, please that. don't be somebody trying to speak for a dead black man. Please. Uh, the bars uh, is in retrograde. And that's why I was able to channel the fact that I think that these are all things that we need to remember Dr. King for, not just for him being a civil rights advocate, that's the civil rights leader, but a man who realizes, who realized that the, the economic opportunity in this country is grand and vast. It was 50 years ago. It continues to be. It's just that doorway to get to that. So as this weekend, on your day of service from Martin Luther King Jr., raise a cup of uh, cappuccino of Folgers coffee. I have no idea what Dr. King drank, but thank, thank your creator and Dr. King for bringing these issues to, to the forefront. 
because uh, it's Martin Luther King weekend. So we we celebrate this great American giant. And who else do we celebrate? Our furry friends and our not so furry friends as well. We love pets and we will be having a pet episode soon here on HPP because we keep talking about pets and we never give them enough attention during our 38 odd minutes of theoretical theological ramblings. Tweet us a picture of your pet listening to the podcast, sleeping, going out on a walk, flying, and we're going to retweet the best pictures. Our Twitter handle, again, is at HBP4040, HBP and use the hashtag HBPETS. All right, and that's a wrap for this week's episode. We want to thank you guys for listening again. Make sure that you please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at, eight, at HBP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Tips to Baseball Podcast. Peace out, everybody.